Hello and welcome to The Ordinary Knitter, the knitting podcast that's mostly about the projects sponsored by EcoFlap Home Draft Proofing Products, including the Pet Flap Draft Proof Pet Door. My name is Heather and I'm at The Ord Knitter on Twitter, at The Ordinary Knitter on Instagram and at Ordinary Knitting on Ravelry. This time, how did the Eye of Partridge experiment go? Knitting dishcloths, new needles and unravelling unloved knits. I'm delighted to welcome listeners from both hemispheres and four continents, so hello to knitters around the globe. I read the term sportscaster the other day, so does this make me a knitcaster? I'll take that, I think it rolls off the tongue. I was talking last time about my cunning plan to strengthen the flat of the heels on the socks I knit for my husband. The idea is to use what I incorrectly referred to as pheasant's eye stitch, its eye of partridge. The socks are now not only all finished, but in use and deemed very comfortable. As you'll know if you've spent more than five minutes listening to the podcast, I use a short row heel for socks, specifically the wonderfully simple Flegel heel. Bear in mind here that I'm knitting socks toe up on Magic Loop. The basic concept of the Flegel heel is that from a certain point you start increasing the stitch count on the sole of the the sock and being magic loop, one needle is the top of the foot, the other is the sole and when you've increased enough you start your short rows to turn the angle of the heel. The first decision you have to make is when to start the heel increases. The advice is that you start when the fuselage of the sock reaches the front of the ankle. So you've started at the toe, you've knitted all the way up the foot and you've reached kind of the front of the ankle. And when I try socks on my husband at this stage, I've never thought about the angle of his foot. And so it's always been a bit woolly. Is that quite where your ankle starts? Hmm, Yes, no. If you're sitting maybe with your feet up, your feet tend to be at about 45 degrees to your leg. So this time I thought I'd eliminate the vagueness by getting him to flex his foot at 90 degrees to his leg. When he does that, you can't mistake where the ankle starts. I thought about taking a photo of the setup to illustrate the show notes, but then I thought I'd spare you. So confident that we were at the right point, I went to put in the lifeline. I've been lazy about this sort of thing and many other things before and regretted it. So I made the effort this time. I wanted to be able to rip out back to the start of the heel increase rows if the whole experiment turned out to be a hot mess. If you're knitting, for example, an Aran jumper or a DK jumper or something like that, you can thread through some four ply in a different colour and it's all very nice and clear. But when you're knitting with four ply in the first place, you don't really have anywhere to go. Now, I have a small confession to make here. I was doing this early evening and my 11 year old was doing something quietly in his bedroom and I didn't want to attract his attention and lose my nice quiet time to knit. Aren't I hideous? So instead of going up to the spare room where my sewing machine and all my threads live, I rootled through a chest that we have downstairs to see what I could find. And what I found was a nylon thread that's usually used to sew on buttons or anything else that gets a lot of abuse and benefits from being sewn on with extra strong thread. I was really delighted with this. Oh, I'm so clever. And so threaded it through the little hole on my interchangeables. I've talked about these before, but it's easy to completely miss them. I don't know if it's the same on all interchangeables, but Knit Pros have two little holes on each connector. One is for the little key to tighten up the cable to needle connection. And the other one that goes right through the connector is for a lifeline thread. 
I've tried before to thread four-ply through it, but it's nigh on impossible. But getting a nylon sewing thread through it was easy. The theory is that as you knit and shuffle stitches about, the thread is taken through all the stitches on around and ta-da, your lifeline is in place. Isn't theory a wonderful thing? So I did this and I started my plan. I'd looked online for tutorials for eye of partridge stitch in the round, but because the stitch is usually used in traditional sock heel flaps, which is knitted flat in its entirety, the concept doesn't really arise, so I had to adapt it. What I'm doing is siloing the central stitches of the heel to knit in eye of partridge and doing my increased stitches at each side in standard stocking stitch. I wrote out how I estimated it would work and firmed up the routine as I went along. The result was that on each sole needle, remember I knit socks two at a time, is a section of knit stitch going from side to side along your needle, a section of knit stitch, a marker, a section of eye of partridge, a marker, then the section of knit stitch on the other side. The knit sections on each side increase but the eye of partridge section remains static at, in this case, 38 stitches. If you've seen any of the photos I've put on Instagram or Twitter, you'll see that the eye of partridge section is very distinct from the knitting surrounding it. Part of the concept of eye of partridge is that the knit and slip stitches are offset to give you the pattern, and as part of this, there is one stitch at the start of the section that has always slipped. This was beginning to bother me as I was six rows in, so for my purposes I tweaked that so that it was knitted once every four rows without losing the offset. The traditional heel flap needs its slip stitches at the side for the way in which it's then incorporated into the sock later on, but my method doesn't, so I didn't think it would cause me any problems. Something I've been conscious of from the beginning of this mini project was that the stitches I was creating would eventually be processed as part of the short row technique. I couldn't see that there would be a problem, but my 3D thinking is poor, so it was a distinct possibility I might run into a sticky mess when I got to that point, hence the lifeline. Nylon thread is see-through and incredibly thin. Usually, when you knit past a lifeline, you can see it clearly and you make sure it stays in its correct, specific and important place in your piece. After a couple of rounds, this clear nylon thread was all over the place. Total fail on my part. I should have gone upstairs, found a nice white cotton thread that I could have seen easily and knitted round. So once again, I paid the price for my laziness. Well, I did and I didn't. I ripped out the nylon thread because it was just in the way and contributing nothing once I'd mangled it about. But on the other hand... I didn't actually need it. I reckoned anyway that because Eye of Partridge is so distinct, if I had felt I had to rip out, I could probably put in a retrospective lifeline more easily than on some pieces of work. So, you know, I paid the price because it was a mangled mess. But on the other hand, I didn't actually need to use the lifeline. So, you know, it, it wasn't too serious. The good news is it worked like a dream. And I never say that. It all just worked out as I expected, and the section is exactly where it's needed on the sole when the sock is on the foot. I'm now wondering whether on the next pair to make a sort of footprint shape. You imagine someone walking in the sand or walking on paving stones with wet feet and you get that sort of outline. So I'm wondering whether to knit that sort of shape section on the sole of the next pair in uh, Eye of Partridge, or perhaps at the least on the ball of the foot, you know, because these are the points where it wears through. So, you know, on the one hand, there's no stopping me. On the other hand, my husband's only worn them twice since I finished. So perhaps I should give them a chance and just see how they wear uh, in reality. Mm -hmm. 
talked about dishcloths before, as I have a favourite pattern that fits perfectly with the bars of dish soap I use. I always have to make new ones every so often because I stab into it with a knife or something like that. But I'm now on a mission to make at least four different styles of dishcloth before my daughter goes to university in September. I know there's a lot of water to go under the bridge between now and then, but we're working on the basis that she will go. She'll be self-catering in her own kitchen, so she's going to need a bit of kit. I thought it would be a nice thing for her to go away with some knitted reminders of home. As always, knitting is my response to a situation, and as you can imagine, this situation is on my mind a bit. I've had a look through my stash, but I'm low on cotton yarn, and really, dishcloths have to be cotton, or I don't know, linen would that work, or something along those lines. Cotton is just what comes to mind for me, or they just don't work properly. You know, you want them to be easily absorbent, you want them to rinse out nicely, you want them to wash and dry. Um, I've found some cream cotton four-ply that I have no memory of. What did I make with it? And the label's long gone, but it looks like the ideal amount for one dishcloth. So I've cracked on with that. The pattern is King Charles Brocade by Lots of Stitches. It's a diamond pattern with a border. There's a very economical chart with the pattern that's trying to do lots of things in a tiny space. And I just... I could I could understand it, but I couldn't keep it all in my head as I went along. So in the end, I wrote out the 12 row repeat. And since then, I've just been flying along with it. It's not a pattern I don't think that you can keep the whole thing in your head, but each row in itself is quite repetitive. So although each row you have to think, right, where are we? What are we doing this time? You can actually scoot along quite swiftly with it. And it's also a pattern that you can widen or extend to your heart's desire. So if I start to get nervous about the yarn, I can always bring the project to a close. On the other hand, as a pretty straightforward cream cotton four-ply, I could probably find something in my local yarn shop. It's a wee bit cosy in there at the best of times, so although it has reopened, I've not been in. Perhaps when my Bobag Scotland Rugby multi-sleeve arrives, I'll go in. This is one of these where it's like a, a complete circle of material. You just stick it over your head and you can use it as a headband or a face mask or whatever. I have made face masks, but I've winged them all being me. So they're all a bit unsatisfactory. I really need to sit down, find a decent pattern and just make one properly. Um, stop imagining I can make it up as I go along. I also have some cream cotton Aran. I can't be sure, but it's likely to be King Cole's recycled cotton Aran, as that's been my favourite cotton Aran for some time. I wanted to get going on um, a dishcloth with that, but it needed three and a half millimetre needles, and I have an ongoing three and a half millimetre saga. I've had three and a half millimetre interchangeables in the past, but I've managed to lose part of each set. If they were both long tips, then that would be problem solved. But one set were short tips. Have you ever used short tips? They are shorter than usual interchangeable needles that can be useful if you're making something on a short cable and you just want the shortest amount of needle possible. They're a great idea in theory. I had a brief flirtation with them a few years ago. I bought a few pairs, but actually I don't really like them. The main reason I don't like them, it's not, they do feel a bit different because you don't have as much needle sort of sitting against your palm. So that takes a little bit of getting used to, but that's not really the problem. It's, um, as, as I knit, I tend to get 
pain in my left wrist, which does mean I can only knit for so much time sort of every evening. And I found that the short tips made that much worse. It came on much sooner. So the last thing I really fancy is a pair of three and a half millimetres made up with one standard interchangeable and one short tip. I think that would be even worse. I talked recently about the 2.75, or are they 2.75 or 2.5? I can't remember now. The the Nipro Smart Sticks that I bought, and I've just used these for the most recent pair of socks. I love them. I think they're 2.5 now I think about it. That's actually marked on them, but I haven't got them in front of me. I haven't actually used the one centimetre markings on them, but that's by the by. They come with these um, alternate blocks of needle colour and whatever colour is for that size of needle in one centimetre blocks all the way along. So if you're needing to measure your work, that's in theory, that's really handy. Um, that each size is a different colour. The ones I've just used for the socks are quite a nice bright green. Um, but the ones I've just got, it's not my favourite colour. Everyone else seems to love this colour. It's that mustardy, yellowy green. I seem to be the only person that's not that keen on it. But, you know, I'll live. And of course, having new needles, I'm really keen to get on with them. But I try to be monogamous with my knitting. So I will finish King Charles Brocade first. Plays on my mind a bit. If um, I know I've got several things on the go, I, ca- I can't decide where to uh, where to put my efforts. So it plays with my mind much less if I just do one project, see it through to the end and then move on to the next one. I don't know if you saw my Instagram post on Wednesday morning, but as it does every so often, it reminds you of a post from way back and it brought to my attention a post from four years ago about a shrug I made, Pearl Soho's evening shrug. I remember at the time I was absolutely thrilled because I was planning to wear this dress to a do and it's a very specific, I'm not, I'm funny with orange, I have a love-hate relationship with it and it was a very specific shade of orange. It's like a sort of goddess style dress. Oh, it's lovely. But about tuppence halfpenny from some cheap shop in Honiton. But um, I was thrilled because I'd managed to find exactly the right, unu- the really weird shade of orange in a yarn. So I was able to knit the shrug. It was going to be an evening do outside in August. And well, you look at the weather just now, you know, you're, you're going to freeze if you haven't got something to go around your shoulders. Um, so I made this. It's, it was very fancy round the cuffs. Um, I remember getting slightly unstuck with that, but it was sufficiently complex. Someone would have had to have looked really, really closely to notice. You made it in two pieces. It was a bit odd. I think you could easily um, rejig the pattern just to make it in one piece. Um, So I, I made this thing and I did wear it on the night. Um, But I find myself wondering now, um, whether I should just unravel it and reuse the yarn, which is Sirdar Cotton Rich Aran in orange. I've worn it, well, I might have worn it twice. I mean, it's it's, it's quite um, a vibrant thing. And I don't really spend my life wafting around in the evening at garden parties. That was very much a one-off. So I don't really have any reason to use it. I, I just find myself thinking, I could get a lot of dishcloths out of that. What do you think? Do you come back to things you haven't worn or used in ages and cheerfully unravel them? Or do you keep them for posterity? I know things like, you know, a jumper you made for your child or something. That's different. You know, I made a Doctor Who jumper for my son and I'm no way I'm unraveling that. Um, but the way I'm feeling now, I'm going to have to see a damn good argument for leaving it sat in a cupboard when I could make something useful from the yarn. 
Did you watch the recent TV series Twin? It's still available on iPlayer, so if you haven't watched it, I wholeheartedly encourage you to do so. It livened up our Saturday nights for a few weeks. I quite missed it at first. I even started having radishes for breakfast a la Ingrid, but that's not why I recommend it. I actually even started growing radishes, and now I'm growing two types of radishes, so this is the danger when you start you know, broadening your mind. The series is set in Norway, and there is some corking knitwear on show, particularly for the Adam Eric character. These are exactly what you'd imagine in terms of beautiful fisherman's jumpers, Nordic designs, that sort of thing, when you imagine something set in Norway, and he wears them so well. The other show that keeps on delivering knitwear that has me wanting to cast on immediately is Outlander. I'm not much into shawls, which I suspect might be an actual crime in the knitting world, but I do love a good cowl and a pair of fingerless gloves. Brie has worn a lovely side-buttoned cowl in the current series that I might just have to recreate. If you look on Ravelry, um, I'm not going to get into all that on here, but yes, I prefer the old style too. There are lots of Outlander-inspired patterns primarily shawls, cowls and mitts, but there are a few tams and so on too, and not just for women, one or two things for men. If you Google Outlander knitting patterns, there are lots that come up that are inspired by, and I never understand why official knitting patterns aren't released by more organisations. TV programmes are the obvious inspiration, but lots of people would love a chart for the official logo of their football team, even their educational setting. Yeah, sky's the limit. These could be made available, I say pretty cheaply. I'm, I'm, I do fully recognise how much effort um, goes into creating um, charts for things and I don't want to denigrate that, but at the same time, when I'm saying fairly cheaply, I'm talking about a fiver on the basis that, you know, if that was downloaded lots and lots and lots of times, you, you know, you've one way and another, there's a revenue stream to be had. I mean, maybe I am ignorant of what's involved in creating patterns. Um, I remember putting together the Nine Men's Morris checkerboard and that really made my head spin and I didn't have to go through all the hassle of coming up with sizing and it's you know it's it's a square with a pattern in it so it's not difficult from that point of view but still I still think there is a situation in which logos could be made available relatively cheaply with an associated knitting pattern you know like not just the logo the hat it goes with or whatever um you know I think there's I think there's a business model there but maybe I would um so when I'm done with the dishcloths, I'm going to use some of the miles of that hairy yarn that I bought for the Nine Men's Morris board last year. And with these Outlander inspired patterns to hand, I'm going to make Polly some fancy mitts and cowls for the Scottish winter. That is me for now. If dishcloths are your thing, do listen in next time, whenever that might be, for a review of the patterns I've used. I'm hoping to bring you another interview with somebody moderately well-known who I'm very excited about interviewing, and this is in the significantly large overlap of knitting and archaeology, but her time is in great demand, so although she's agreed, we haven't done the deed yet. Soon, I hope. Happy knitting! Bye!